Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. My bookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me this episode, bi-week episode, is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. And for the first time, and my fault on this, I should not have waited so long here, but we've did the Gator panels and stuff before, but uh, from Gator Country, Nick De La Torre joins us here uh, also on Gators Breakdown. Gentlemen, by week, uh, of course, we'll watch some football this weekend. But any any special plans uh, for the final bye week of the 2019 season? Will I'm just gonna sleep, man. <laughs> <laughs> I won't have to stay up late. I'm sure Nick, you feel you feel us on this too. I mean, when you got to write something or you got to produce something late at night with these night games, it uh, some of the noon games have actually been nice recently. But uh, but uh, yeah, it'll be nice to be able to watch and be a fan for a weekend. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I've been on the road a lot. Um, even the last bye week, I went out of town. So uh, just to hang out and not worry about traveling and, and doing all that stuff. And I'm with you, Will. I love the noon game. It gets me out of the stadium before 2 a.m. Uh, won't be the case in two weeks at Florida State, but I, I do like that it's a night game for Florida State, not to uh, get, you know get ahead of ourselves here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, don't have to worry about going out and partying on Friday nights with, with, with me, Nick, and, and getting – kind of you know too much to drink well I, I can do that on friday night now because it's <laughs> 7 a.m it's a 7 p.m kick it's the problem is when you go out drinking friday night and it's a 12 a.m or you know a noon kick and then i gotta be at the stadium at 10 and not feeling great then you're a bad influence dave <laughs> how, how, how are the bars in missouri did you get any chance to do that or was the 11 a.m wake up call a little bit a uh, little bit too early saturday night was was the bar night but uh, people in missouri didn't like when i said it um, but I don't know why people live in Missouri. Um, <laughs> I've been there. This is my third time, and I'm still looking for a redeemable quality. And um, if you've got one, let me know. I haven't found one yet. Well, Nick, man, thanks. Uh, I, it was short notice today. We got you on. But uh, we were talking on social media, of course, uh, about most of the topic we hit on uh, for this episode, uh, quarterback talk, Kyle Trask and stuff. But, yeah, on short notice, man, uh, thanks for hopping on. 
more than happy to be here in my debut. I am protesting by not turning my camera on uh, since it's been so long since I got an invite. <laughs> yeah, if you're watching live on YouTube, uh, we have Nick, uh, just a picture of Nick up because uh, for, some, for some reason, his camera won't work on there. So uh, that's that, that's my fault for not checking before. But all good. If you're listening on the podcast version, you wouldn't never notice anyway. So uh, we'll get to the episode. We'll talk about uh, Kyle Trask and the appreciation we uh, should have from him for this 2019 season and a little bit of recruiting news as well with signing day, early signing period, early signing day uh, about a month away. Before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as news for jack's coverage of the gators also listen and subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify youtube whichever version out there plenty of plenty plenty of chances and ways to catch gators breakdown when using those services please share rate and review the show and on social media follow gators breakdown on twitter and facebook at gators breakdown later on this week a news for jack's exclusive talking with troop where former gators tied in ben troop joins me once a week this season, almost almost over there, but uh, we get Ben's troops on the uh, Ben's thoughts on the Missouri game as well as uh, the bye week and FSU, and that's exclusively at newsforjacks.com slash Gators breakdown. So, gentlemen, we have uh, you guys have written on it, talked about it, social media wise. Uh, you know, the, with Kyle Trask and uh, his performance uh, this season since taking over for, for Felipe Franks. Um, for some reason, there's a topic out there of uh, you know still debating whether he should be the uh, starting quarterback for the Gators or not, even with one game left uh, in the 2019 season. And look, with his production, you know, I never thought I'd see myself having to defend why he's the starting quarterback right now, uh, and, and and maybe next season as well. And look, I, I know plenty of people remind me, uh, uh, you know, that Kyle Trask has, has proven me wrong. Uh, and look, this isn't a comparison. This isn't a debate. Uh, of whether Trask uh, is better than Felipe Franks or Emory Jones. Uh, he's done great this season, uh, should be the quarterback because he's earned it. I'll admit it, I didn't see him being able to, to come in and play like he has. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily because he was a, a two-star quarterback, but you know because he was a two-star quarterback with not a lot of experience in high school and, and wasn't getting a lot of uh, play in college because of all the injuries that you know, kept happening uh, to, to him. I wasn't going to make out make too much out of what he did in spring practices and spring performances because we've been there. We've been there and seen Luke Del Rio have a perfect spring game and then go on not to do anything uh, in, in fall camp. And, you know, I don't really think spring games amount to a whole lot. But, you know, look, I was wrong about him. I was definitely glad I am uh, and glad he was. I'm glad he stuck around. I'm glad he got his chance after the unfortunate injury to Felipe Franks. Uh, came in versus Kentucky, played great football since, putting up numbers we have, haven't seen in years at Florida uh, and it's still not enough for, for for some of the fan base out there. And you know, Will, you had the in your review of Missouri, of the Missouri game, uh, you also had a a nice uh, appreciation of Kyle Trask. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I understand why people after the Georgia loss start looking towards the future, because the way college football is organized these days, everybody focuses on the playoff, and so seeing guys develop all the way through the bowl game, you sort of figure, hey, can you use these as sort of an entryway to the 2020 season? But it's not as if Trask doesn't have any eligibility left. I mean, he's still got a full year; he can come back and play. And and based on how he's played this year, I mean, it, I think in the LSU game, you sort of said he played well for a backup quarterback. I mean, the story, I mean, he played well in that game, but you know, the idea that 
that he's the backup, that he's the guy who hadn't started since high school or even didn't even start in high school. And, and that was sort of the narrative. I, I think that narrative has gone away at this point. I mean, he's a quality starting quarterback in the SEC and it's been a long time since Florida's had a quality starting quarterback in the SEC. And it's just, it's a little bit shocking to, to see the fan base really sort of say, well, let's, let's, let's ignore the fact that he's been successful and that he's a quality starting quarterback and, and move on to the next guy. But again, I think that's sort of the nature of college football. I know there's an awful lot of concern that Emory Jones could conceivably look elsewhere if he's not the starting quarterback next year. And, you know, that's probably a legitimate concern, but at the same time, Trask has played well. I think he's earned the respect that he's getting throughout the country, not just in the sec. And, and I think we've also, you know, he struggled in the games. We might've thought he might've the, the Auburn game. He struggled a little bit, obviously struggled in the Georgia game a little bit as well, but recently has played much better. And I think that's kind of what you see with an inexperienced guy. So he's going to struggle against really good defenses, but if he can pick apart the bad ones, once he gets some experience, he's going to be much better next year. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, well, uh, honestly, he could have two more years. So he's a redshirt junior. Um, so he has one more year of just natural eligibility. Um, but, I mean, honestly, he could get a medical hardship waiver for either of his two um, seasons that were that were cut short with injury. So, I mean, you're looking – and this is a guy who has shown, hey, man, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> didn't go anywhere in high school. Didn't go anywhere despite not being the starting quarterback in Florida. Um, I, I think it's it's – like like Will said, like listen, he's not a backup quarterback anymore. He he's played in enough games that this is your starting quarterback. He's got that experience. He's played in ten games this year. Um, but you can't you can't forget the story of what Kyle Trask is and, and not starting in high school. They're not starting at Florida. Um, maybe getting a chance last year and then breaks his foot in practice on a freak play um, on the Monday before I think it was the South Carolina game. Um, so you, you can't diminish what that story is it's a truly remarkable story um and to me the you know the the most the most popular player on any team is always the backup quarterback and if emory jones got a start um and played poorly then anthony richardson would be the new favorite quarterback and it would be hey can he enroll early and play in the bowl game um you know that'd be the next thing so i kind of get where it is i think and what i said on twitter today is i just don't understand you can want to see Emory Jones and you can be afraid of Emory Jones being unhappy and transferring, but why do you have to bring down the person who is starting and is playing to prove your point? To me, that doesn't make any sense. Kyle Trask has played the entire season outside of three quarters in SEC play and the Gators are going to win 10 games. Sorry, FSU. Um, Spoiled my pick on my podcast next week, but Florida's <laughs> going to beat FSU next week. They're going to win 10 games and have a chance to win 11. And, and to me, to, to just like to neg a quarterback because you want the backup to start, like Kyle Trask is not doing anything poorly. Um, and, and I think we're just, we're getting into a point where people are just digging trenches because they like someone and they're trying to bring somebody else down. And I, I, I don't get it. Um, I, I just, I have a, a, huge appreciation for what Kyle Trask has been able to do this year. Um, and I see just like a split in the fan base, I guess. Yeah. And that's part of it. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. I, I didn't really, you know, in, in doing this, don't really want to want it to turn into a, you know, Emory versus 
trash debate, but you know that, that's what's out there right right now. And look, we have plenty of time for that this coming up season. And, and would I like to see Emory Jones finish drive he starts this year? Absolutely. Would I like to see him throw more when he's in there? Absolutely. He, and he's a nice change of uh, of pace. Does help in the run game go get, 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 getting that going when he's in there. And I honestly don't know what would happen if he if he was the full time starter. But I'm going to go with how these. 2019 Gators are constructed and, and and with you know the playmaking depth at wide receiver and and, and that's you know why Kyle Trask is the guy and, and offensive line struggles as well uh, I think you know we don't know how the offense would look with Emory we know what it looks like with Trask and it is successful right now and look we we have seen the thought and it's been brought up after the loss versus Georgia that you know Emory should get most of the reps or be the starter I, I just really do not I don't get that thought uh, Dan Dan Mullen's job is to is to win football games as the head coach of the University of Florida. He sees the the best way to do that right now is to start and play Kyle Trask, and the Gators are, are winning in doing so. And you know the, the same fans that are clamoring for Emory to start or get a lot of playing time would be the same ones upset at Mullen if those games resulted in a loss. So you know, enjoy what's happening at the quarterback position this season uh, because it's been a while since the, the Gators have been set at, at quarterback. And and you know, kind of. The, the play here is, you know, you're winning with, you know, with a quarterback in, in, in spite of one. Uh, and there's a legit reason to be happy and excited about what Kyle Trask is doing and what Emory can potentially do. I predict there'll be a, a battle in the, in the spring between the two. May the best man win. But for now, man, just in, enjoy what we have not seen in forever at the quarterback position. Well, it's funny because you look back at, say, Will Greer. So his the his year at Florida before he got suspended for PEDs, 65.6% completion, 7.5 yards per attempt, 10 touchdowns, three interceptions. And then you look at what Trask has done against, you know, the teeth of the schedule, not necessarily uh, you know, he he missed a lot of the, the UT Martins of the world early in the year, but 66.8% completions, 8.4 yards per attempt, 21 touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, he's played very, very well. This isn't something where we're sort of looking at like he's not a placeholder. I, I'm not sure. Um, I think maybe people thought that's what he was when he came in as a backup quarterback. I think some people were surprised that he actually won the backup job and they expected that at some point he might struggle and then Emory Jones would get a shot and he just hasn't struggled. And so Emory hasn't gotten that shot. And at the end of the day, he won the backup job coming out of camp, obviously because of, because he was the first one up when Frank's got hurt and he's done nothing to relinquish it ever since. Yeah. And to me, it's a huge, I've written about it before. It's a huge credit to him. I, when I was 18 years old, if, if I didn't get the starting job, and we see it so much now in college football, there's only one ball to go around. If you're a receiver, it's cool. We, we'll start four, and some teams might start five. Um, there's only one quarterback. Only one guy can be the man on campus, and, and you see guys transferring and leaving and doing all that. I would have done the same thing, and he stuck it out. Not only did he stick it out and didn't go through the motions and you know like Blue Mountain State and just enjoying partying and the things that come with being – um, you know, a quarterback at the University of Florida, he prepared. And, and you see that four years in having not really an opportunity to play, uh, definitely not to start, but not even really to play. And then when you get thrust in there, like you said, into the teeth of the schedule, you know, right away, hey, Auburn's coming, then LSU and, and Georgia. Um, and the and the comeback versus Kentucky. I mean, that was yeah. he had to lead that. Mm-hmm. To, if Kyle Trask hadn't had the right approach for the last four years, Florida would probably be struggling to be bowl eligible right now. And he would look like a backup quarterback, but like you and will have said, he's not a placeholder. He's not a backup quarterback in the sec. 
two quarterbacks are completing a better percentage of passes than Kyle Trask. And both of them were going to end up in New York uh, at the Heisman and Joe Burrow and, and Tua Tagovailoa. So not a placeholder. Um, he's, he's performed way above. And I was one of the early ones when he, when he first got in and I remember watching him and Felipe, they both uh, enrolled early that same spring. And I was all over Kyle Trask thought that the Texas gunslinger was going to be the guy. And, then it didn't turn out that way, and I heard about it for a while. But I've been high on Kyle Trask for a while, and uh, finally, uh, finally, he's showing me, showing everyone what you know. I guess what I saw when when he was a freshman, um, an early enrollee freshman. But he, he's he's a he's a good player. The, to me, the biggest thing is is that for four years, without a lot of hope of making an impact, he prepared as if he was going to be the starter. You're seeing that now. You can really see you can really see that when you look at the film too, like the the throw that he made to Hammond this past week uh, was no, a beautiful no, no. throw. But Peter told me that was a bad throw, and Hammond, <laughs> Hammond, Hammond turned into a superhero, and he made a great catch despite the throw. Uh, it's funny because the the thing I tend to look for when I'm looking at quarterbacks and I'm looking at at what they at at how they read defenses and do they throw to the right place. And so you can make an argument about whether that ball was in the right place. I think it was. I think you probably think it was. Whether Twitter thinks it was in the right location or not, he threw it to the right guy. And I think that's what you see a lot with Trask is that he's almost always throwing to the right guy. He had a ball where he overthrew Pitts, where he had him one-on-one in coverage. On the very next play, they came to it again. He can make those back shoulder throws that we haven't seen in Gainesville in a really long time against one-on-one coverage. Um, but that's sort of the the thing I think that I'm going to take from from this season when I look back on it is that is that Trask – it feels like he's almost always throwing to somebody who's in one-on-one coverage or someone who's open in the zone. Very rarely do you see him get confused. He got confused once and almost threw a pick six against Missouri, but that's a very rare occurrence. And that's something that you look for in a quarterback. It's not, does he have the zip to throw the, to throw the, the out? I mean, obviously you'd love to have him to have a guy with a, with an arm like that, but not everybody in college has that kind of arm. The question is, does he, is the guy wide open when he throws it to him? And more often than not, that's the case. Yeah. And I've, where I want to go with you know, the, the appreciation I have uh, for what he's doing is this offense has had to be put on his shoulders. Uh, he's had to be the facilitator uh, in this offense because there's no traditional run game, very little help from the offensive line to get the run game going with the, the with the running backs. Uh, so in turn, Florida's had you know, shifted its offense and, and they could do that because of Kyle Trask and because of this deep wide receiver core. We knew this wide receiver core, it was this offensive strength coming into the season, but you know, little did we know just how much they'd have to be counted on. And, thank, and thankfully, there is a quarterback that, that gets them the ball. And you know, it, it's kind of going to Will's point, it's, it, whether it be a short route, an intermediate route, downfield passing game, uh, you know, they'll take short passes and, and, and turn them into big games. And Kyle Trask is using them like, you know, like they should be used. They are a strength of this team, uh, and the quarterback is helping them be the best they can be. You know, and back to the offensive line. While the pass blocking is better than than the than the run blocking, it's still not great. You know, and, and Trask is is throwing a bit under the uh, under pressure this season and, and getting hit. Now, some of that's also uh, Trask and uh, you know him still garnering experience and, and knowing how long to hold on to the ball and hanging on to it when getting hit. He's gotten better there, moving within the pocket to help the offensive line. Things he's needed to get better at while he's learning on the job. And getting, you know, he's done those things. And we've seen him take steps from that Kentucky game, from that Auburn game, uh, you know, getting hit and fumbling the ball. We don't see that when he gets hit now. And he's he's moving in the pocket, avoiding sacks, uh, keeping a play alive to hit players down the field. And look, this 
with the with let with the lack of the running game, I just can't keep going back to you know just how much you know, the offense has to go through him. There's no choice right now. It, the, the the offense has to go through the quarterback, and uh, you know this quarterback that we you know I, I didn't necessarily believe in early on, and you know a lot of other people out there, and whether he you know you want to label him a backup right now, at, when he would come in, when he came in, that's what he was, that's what he was labeled as, and from game one, from since taking over from Felipe Franks in Kentucky, the offense has been on his shoulders, and he's done nothing but shine. I think the the early on, you you can see some red flags with a new quarterback or a backup quarterback, but to me the things that were really harped on with him, like you just mentioned, the fumbles and, and not noticing pressure and not getting the ball out quick enough. To me, those are things that you're, you're only going to be able to get that with game reps. When mm-hmm. you're in practice, you're wearing a non-contact jersey. In fact, if anyone touches you, lays a finger on you, they're getting chewed out. So you're not worried about that. and you don't. Re- There's really no way to simulate that at game speed the way that teams practice now. So it was kind of a thing where – yeah, they were issues and the fumbles were an issue, but I'm thinking he's going to get better at that. Once he gets more comfortable um, and gets more game reps, I don't think that's going to be an issue. And like you just said, as every week as weeks go by, you know, it might have been, hey, it happened four times this week, and then it happened three, and then it just happened one. And, hey, we went a whole week where you didn't see it. And I think he's really grown in that aspect. And it was only going to come through playing and through getting those reps um, on Saturdays. Well, and I think, I mean, I would say that when, when Franks went down in that Kentucky game, I pretty much penciled that one in as a loss mm-hmm. and, and in comes Trask and all of a sudden Florida's winning a game that in all, you know, they really shouldn't have won that game based on the way the score was when Trask came in and what a backup quarterback typically does. And, and, you know, you, you see him spreading the ball around. I mean, Kyle Pitts has gotten a lot more involved in the offense since Trask, since Trask has come in. But also, when Pitts has gotten double covered, he's gone to Van Jefferson or he's gone to Trevon Grimes or or he's gone to Kadarius Tony recently now that he's back in the game. So it, the ball has been spread around quite a bit more where I think within and, – and again, I've written repeatedly that Trask and Franks are just different quarterbacks, and so they win in different ways. And sometimes it looks prettier one way. Some, sometimes it looks prettier the other way. But tra- but Franks certainly focused in on P in the passing game, particularly in that Miami game. And I think you can say that there were times that he locked onto guys and, and the ball didn't necessarily get spread around. Trask has been able to spread the ball around a little bit more, but he's just like any other quarterback. He's He's got some weaknesses. He's got some things he needs to get better at. I don't think anybody's saying that he's, you know, hey, he's a Heisman winner, but I think we're saying that based on sort of his track record in high school, which was relatively limited, but relatively successful when he was in there, and then what he's put up in one in his, in his first experience in college, you can really expect that he probably has a leap to make next year. Now, how big that leap is, I, I think, is, is really sort of up to him and, and how Florida is able to put maybe more pieces around him. But he's poised to make a leap next year and be a significant amount better. And uh, you know, I, I think fans are going to get an opportunity to see that. Yeah, it was very interesting. I don't want to take credit for it, but I do apologize for who, who put it out on Twitter. But is Kyle Pitts the tight end slash receiver – that we know him as now, is he that with uh, another quarterback out there? If Emory or, or, or Felipe is the quarterback, do we get the production that we've seen from Kyle Pitts this season? Simply based on that, the fact that they don't share the same name as the current quarterback, I would say no. <laughs> Makes a better headline now that Trask is involved. So. It's, it's a great hashtag. Thank you for that. <laughs> But yeah, I mean that is that is an interesting way to look at it. You know, probably the the, the best receiver on the team, uh, or um, not best, but maybe security blanket uh, for Kyle Trask. 
Uh, you sure, know. If, if you're in a new situation, find that six foot five, yeah. you know, alien and say, Hey, he's the biggest and one of the fastest players on the field. Let me just try to get him the ball. And I think there was a game where I think Pitts was targeted 10 times. And, and when I was doing our podcast, I was like, I don't know what the number is, like what number of targets, if Kyle Pitts was targeted 40 times in a game, would I be like, Hmm. I think that might be too much. Like I don't know what the maybe forty is the number. Like I don't know if there's a number that's high enough that you're like ah they they really tried to force it to Kyle Pitts. Like he's just a mismatch. I don't know what defense or what player in the country you'd look at and say like oh, okay well they're going to be able to neutralize Kyle Pitts. It depends. Well, that's, that's, it depends. It depends on who's it, who it's against, right? So I'm all for targeting him 40 times against Georgia, but let's save him against the Talisons of the UT <laughs> world. <laughs> the only people that can neutralize him are the Mackey Award voters. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just some stats here. You know, the University of Florida sends these stats out, these notes out uh, every year, and then kind of going back and looking at what Kyle Trask has done and some uh, that have pinpointed out here through the season. You know, Trask has thrown for 300-plus yards twice this year, uh, uh, amassing career high, 363 yards against Vanderbilt, 310 uh, versus um, uh, LSU at the time. So Trask, 363 yards were the highest total by Gator since Tim Tebow's 482 uh, against Cincinnati in his final game. Uh, the 2010 Sugar Bowl, uh, and it was the highest total against an SEC team since Rex Grossman, 375 against Kentucky, all the way back in 2002. Uh, Trash joined Tim Tebow uh, with three in 2007 and Chris Leak, two in 2005 and four in 2004 as the only Gators since the start of 2003 to post multiple 300-yard passing games in the same season. Uh, Trash was also the first Gator since Leak with three in 2004 to have two 300-yard outings against SEC opponents in the same season. Uh, you're just going to get you know a, a litany of stats here that we haven't seen in quite some time from a Florida quarterback since the start of 2000 season. The only Gators to throw for 300-plus yards against a top 25 team are Trask, Tebow, and Rex Grossman. Only three quarterbacks. Since the start of the 2010 season, all other Gators have combined for three 300-yard passing games. Uh, and a couple more here. Trask threw three touchdowns against LSU, followed it up with a career-high four touchdowns out of South Carolina. He is the first Gator since Tim Tebow, 2008 at Vanderbilt and Florida State, to throw for at least three touchdowns in consecutive road games. Trask three touchdown passes at the LSU made him the first Gator since Tebow to throw at least three touchdowns on the road against an AP Top 10 team. Uh, Tebow did that uh, in 2007 versus Kentucky. And the last one here, Trask also became the first Gator since Rex Grossman in 2001 uh, to throw for three-plus touchdowns in consecutive outings against SEC teams. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, stat-heavy right there, but it's still, you know, we we just haven't seen that in what going on 20 years now, uh, 15 years, 10 years, uh, just uh, of what, you know, look, we know, and I just kind of spoke about it, He's kind of having to do this. Florida's having to rely on the passing game. That is part of it, but at least he can do it, and we're seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the scoring um, since he's taken over. I mean, that's one of the things that you know usually analytics people like me don't necessarily look at the score, but you know the the Kentucky game. You come back, you win by one score, but then it's thirty-four to three, thirty-eight to nothing, twenty-four to thirteen against a really good Auburn team. 
Um, you know, South Carolina game, 38 to 27, obviously had to turn it on in the fourth quarter, but that game, I think we all sort of felt like Florida had control over it. Same thing with Vanderbilt and Missouri. They're, they're beating the teams that they should beat, which isn't necessarily something that they've done in the past because Trask is so in command against some of these teams. And you know, he even played decently against Georgia. So 21 to 33 for 257 yards and two touchdowns. And then LSU obviously played very, very well, very well too, 24, 44 for 311. So, um, you know, he, he's played. He's played very well in the big games. He hasn't been the reason that they've lost the game. I mean, the game against LSU, they lost because they couldn't they couldn't stop Burrow. The game against Georgia, they lost because they couldn't get off the field on third down. Um, so he's really sort of done his part, even in the games that they've lost, and he's and he's helped them to beat the teams that they should beat, which to me is one of the things that's been missing around Gainesville for a few years is even in the McIlwain era, even in the years where they were going to the SEC championship game, there were, you know, last-minute, Austin Harden field goals to beat Vanderbilt and those sorts of things. And, and there hasn't been any of that this year. Florida has been in control other than really the, the Miami game early, early in the year. And then the Kentucky game where they had to come back, they've, they've been in charge against teams that they should have been able to physically handle. You're bringing up all, all my, my great memories, Will Greer and Austin Harden. <laughs> time. Speaking of memories here, uh, yeah, it, part of this too. I want to go back to like go to back to 2006, and you know we've talked extensively about the rotation uh, of the quarterbacks and comparing, you know, Trask and uh, Emery to, to 2006 with Leak and Tebow, of course. And if you go back to then, you know, the offense wasn't putting up a lot of points, and, and Tebow would come in and add a spark. But look, he wasn't ready to lead uh, that offense. And now it's not a direct comparison because of two reasons. You know, Trask is playing better than Chris Leak did in 2006. Uh, Emory Jones is in his second year compared to Tebow being in his first. But you know, there were many times when the offense was struggling uh, in 2006 when fans would clamor for Tebow to get more playing time or start. He wasn't ready. And, and look, now we we know that the offense would ultimately ultimately be better with Tebow in when he got his chance. But for the 2006 season, you know, Chris Lee needed to be the starting quarterback for the team to be at its best. And, and that's kind of that's where I feel like Kyle Trask right now in this 2019 season, he's the quarterback to get this thing going, to get it done. Is the ceiling higher in Dan Mullen's offense with a running quarterback? Absolutely. But 2019, I don't believe so. So you know, looking forward one more time, you know, let these guys, kind of how I see it, I think they'll, and I have no idea if this is the way Mullen looks at it right now or not, but, you know, we'll see when it comes around to it. You know, these guys battle out in the spring and we'll get our answer. I, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I remember going back when Dan said it'll kind of be like the Chris and, and Tebow split. And I'm always cautious when I hear Dan or when Urban would do it and they would mention Tebow because immediately your mind goes to this prolific, one of, if not the best college football players ever. And you're like, oh God, that's not what this poor kid is, not what he needs to be compared to, not the bar that he needs to have hanging over his head. But if you go back and look at that season, it's like you said, like it, I, I think fans were thinking like 60-40 split. But if you go back and look at Tebow's snaps per game, it's like five. Yeah. He, he would come in on on he, he would basically come in on obvious third and one, second and one you know, fourth and one, and he would just bulldoze his way through. There were some passes, but for the most part, it was Chris Leak's show with, you know, just a, a pinch of Tim Tebow, and that's kind of what we've seen. So I think when you hear Tim Tebow's name, um, you probably think of his 07, 08, and 09 seasons more so than, than 2006, and I think that's maybe 
Maybe some fans thought they would see Emory Jones more based on hearing that. But I think if you went back and went through the play-by-play of 2006, you'd see that Tim didn't play a ton as a freshman. I think the other thing that you might <laughs> that you might think about if you go back and look at 2006 is just the offensive line. And that third and one, fourth and one in 2006, because of the quality of the offensive line, um, it was a much more likely endeavor to be successful. I mean, Florida, Mullen has clearly shown a reticence to run on third and short on a regular basis. And I think that's well based in fact, in terms of how the offensive line has played and, you know, bringing in Emory Jones, who isn't the battering ram that Tebow was to go get those third and one, fourth and one. I mean, there were a few of those where Tebow just got it himself, but a lot of times he didn't get touched until he already had the yard that he needed. Um, and, you know, that hasn't necessarily been happening this year either. Um, I've been a little bit surprised. I, I know, th- I think the legitimate question you could ask is why in short yardage when Florida struggled as much as they have, have they not had more of an Emory Jones package back there? But, you know, again, I think that's, it's sort of hindsight because if you have Kyle Pitts and you can throw it up to him on third and one, fourth and one, I think that's a pretty good option too. And kind of previewing, looking ahead, and I said, look, you know, Trask and Emory's going to battle it out in the spring. Well, fall, you know, we'll, we'll be going into fall next year as well. Um, kind of the final thought here to wrap up this. Uh, Nick, you're closer down there, of course, uh, being on the beat and stuff. Am I wrong for assuming and not throwing Felipe Franks' name uh, in, into the conversation as well when we when when, when looking forward? Uh, we don't know. Mullen pretty much said uh, won't be involved too much in the spring, if at all. Um, I don't think he'll be back. That's just an assumption. That's just a guess on my part. Uh, I don't think all three of these quarterbacks will be uh, part of uh, going into fall camp next year, but uh, maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. Yeah, um, I, I- – I think the safest thing to say is I, I assume Kyle Trask will be back. Yeah. Um, they could find eligibility for Cam Newton um, and he can come back and transfer to Florida. And I think Kyle Trask would sit behind Cam Newton and be happy <laughs> uh, to take his reps in practice and, and win some football games from the bench. Um, so I don't see Kyle Trask going anywhere. Um, to me, I think from talking to Felipe, I think he's on pace to graduate this year. Um, obviously he would be, I think, eligible for medical hardship. He still has mm-hmm. another eligibility as it is. Um, he could be a graduate transfer with potentially one to two seasons somewhere else. Um, it's, it, it'll be really hard for me because I know the kind of competitor that he is. It would be hard for me when you start talking timetable, when would he transfer? Um, I don't think it would be in the spring because I think even if he can't participate, he looks in, in his mind, even though he's friendly with both quarterbacks, he thinks I'm better than them. I'll start when I'm back. Um, so I don't know when yeah, – I, I don't see him seeing anything in the spring from either quarterback and thinking, all right, well, I can't overcome this. I'm not going to ever start here again. I need to leave. Um, the interesting one for me would be Emory Jones. Being uh, a redshirt freshman, um, could he see the writing on the wall or does he want to stay? I mean, Anthony Richardson will be coming in as well. Um, that's another guy that, you know, down the line is a guy that when you think of what Dan Mullen's offenses have, when they're most successful, probably a guy like him, a guy with a big arm and that, and that can also run with the football. Um, so to me, I don't see Frank's transferring before the spring. I, I don't mm-hmm. think the last time we see him in orange and blue is, you know, getting carted off the field at Kentucky. Um, to me, Emory Jones would be the one, because if, if you're looking and if I'm, if what I say is right, where Frank's isn't leaving, then Emory's coming back into a situation thinking, well, what the hell? I've got yeah. two guys now that have started over me. It might be time to go somewhere else. So he'd be the one that 
um, that I would be, you know, if we're talking about transfers, um, I, I was, I would, if we're putting odds on it, I would say he's probably the most likely to transfer. I just don't see knowing the kind of competitor Felipe is and having won the job before, I just don't see him, him transferring out, you know, at least in the spring when he's not gonna be able to do anything. Yeah, Will, before you jump in, my, my thought about Emory transferring is that there would be a lot behind a lot of thought behind it. There had to be a lot of thought behind it because what would you gain from having to sit out next year anyway if you do transfer? And but as you said, you know, Anthony Richardson probably plays a part in this too, which would be his second season. But if Emory Jones, you know, if he transfers out, he'll have to sit out next season more than likely anyway. So uh, to me, I'd take my chances if Kyle Trask and or Felipe Franks you know, win the starting job uh, or whatever. And uh, you're going to be sitting on the bench either way. So would you wait one more year uh, to try and get your shot the next year when you know Franks and Trash probably aren't there? I think a lot of it depends on relationships, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do you feel about the coaches? How do you feel about your chances to get those two years once you, you know, once you've waited your turn? And then also, I mean, we've seen this year with Trask. I mean, a lot of times you get the opportunity, even when it's not necessarily something that everybody drew up. I, I certainly, we did not spend the offseason talking about how, <laughs> how likely it was that Kyle Trask was going to be the starting quarterback this year. I mean, the discussion in the offseason was could were the last four games of Franks real or a mirage? And what did that mean if for some reason it was a mirage and Emory Jones had to come in and play? And it turns out Kyle Trask is the guy who comes in and leads the Gators to a 10 or an 11 win season. So um, I think the stuff that goes on inside the program is, is probably more important than any of the chatter that goes on outside of it. And the relationships that Emory Jones has with the coaches and the trust that he has that they're going to prepare him and get him to the next level is probably the thing that, uh, that dictates that decision. If he feels like he's progressing and he feels like he's going to get a couple years to show what he's got. Yeah. Like you said, Dave, it probably makes sense to stay, but you know, we live in a, we live in a time where people transfer all the time. That's their right, right. The transfer and, and the players don't have a lot of leverage. And so if you use that leverage to maybe get yourself into a better situation, Hey, more power to you so you know we'll see what happens but i don't think you make decisions as a program based on based on one player unless you think that player is really really special and i suspect that if uh you know that the fact that he didn't win the backup job this year is an is not an indictment but it's an indication that um there's still a little bit more development to be made i love that you said that because i've seen that a bunch like hey if if you don't play emory jones he's going to transfer and dave hit on it earlier you're paid to win games right now. If you don't win games right now, you're not going to have an opportunity to win games down the line. Mm-hmm. So if Kyle Trask is what you think is going to keep your job and, and you're going to help you win games, cool. We live. We have to live right now. And if that makes someone else unhappy and, and they want to leave, that's on them. Well, he's been right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right, guys, any more thoughts on quarterbacks? Uh, Trask, Emory, Felipe before uh, recruiting some recruiting talk? I wouldn't mind seeing Tommy Townsend throw a ball or two. But that's why you had me on the show. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. They, they let him run for one in the first game of the year. Every time he comes out, I think maybe they'll give him a shot to fake it, and they haven't done it since. So maybe against Florida State when we're up by like 40. Was it Kentucky when he had the bad fake? Yeah. Uh, Auburn, right? Is it Auburn? I can't remember the game. Oh, man. I mean, it was the exact same play call. Yeah. So we asked Dan about, of course, we, you know, it, it's a play that doesn't work out. We have to ask him after the game. And Dan says, and some people liked it, some people didn't. I thought it was funny. He says, well, they loved it against Miami. It was the same <laughs> thing this time. It just didn't work out. Now they hate it, and I'm an idiot. And I was like, That's how it works. That's yeah. how it works. If you gamble and it works, you're the smartest coach on the field. And if you gamble and it doesn't work, you're an idiot, and we're trying to find your replacement. 
Oh, all right, here we go. Before we get into uh, recruiting talk, you know, signing day uh, not far away. Uh, little ad read here. Are you the Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash into your wallet. Between football season, NBA, and college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you can literally, you literally cannot lose. So doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or first-time customer, MyBookie welcomes all to come and play so quit waiting around and sign up today right now my bookie will match your deposit by 50 percent all the way up to a thousand dollars use promo code gators to activate the offer visit my bookie online today at mybookie.ag that's m-y-b-o-o-k-i-e.ag and don't forget to use promo code gators when creating your account to claim the bonus bet win get paid at my bookie so look at recruiting. What about a month till early signing period begins and the Gators are 12th in the 24 seven sports composite with 19 commits. Uh, Florida actually has 20 commits, but uh, it looks like, you know, 24 seven is not counting. Oh, here you go, Nick. looks like they're not counting punter Jeremy Crawshaw. So uh, in the rankings as uh, he's not rated. So uh, it really has no effect on the ratings for Florida. So, you know, with the 19, you know, 12, four stars, seven, three stars, that's good for sixth in the sec behind LSU with 25 commits, Bama with 23, Georgia with only 16, Texas A&M 20, and Auburn with 20. Florida also falls behind those six schools in average ranking per recruit. Of course, uh, right now, class is headlined by Gervin Dexter, Derek Wingo, Isaiah Walker, Anthony Richardson. Uh, But the Gators have room uh, for about 30 if they really wanted, but of course aren't really going to bring in that many recruits. Need to save some for transfers and such. So uh, in looking at this class itself, uh, thinking no more than about 27 when we're talking pure recruiting class. But, uh, Will, I mean, definitely some some, some groundwork to make up uh, as far as uh, looking at the, the competition in the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been one of the sort of hallmarks of the McElwain era and now the Mullen era is that the recruiting hasn't been up where we would have seen, up where we would like to see it, at least with uh, where it was with Urban Meyer and even with even with Muschamp after him. But, you know, so in 2018, the average was 90.75 for the 24-7 ranking. It's 91.06 in 2019 and 2020, we're at 90.26. So really, it's sort of right where it's been. Um, you look at the point total, Florida's at 250.93, 12th there you already mentioned, but the, the issue that they're running into is that there are some real sort of outliers this year. I mean, Clemson's at 304 with only 20 commits, LSU's 304 with 25, Alabama's at 300 with 23, Georgia's at 275 with 16 commits. So jumping into that top five is a pretty, pretty tall ask, even though Florida's at 12. I think Florida was down around like 17 or 18 last year at this time and really closed strong. If they close strong this year, best case scenario, I would guess they're probably going to be around sixth or seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, if they get a, if they get a couple of five-star guys to flip, maybe they get up into that fifth spot. They might be able to be at Ohio state, but that's pretty, pretty unlikely. But again, a lot of good players in this class, a lot of guys who will make a difference. Um, but, you know, one of the things that if you really look at the elite of the elite, they got guys who come in, contribute year one, 
and are sitting there in that top 15, top 30 nationally every year. And that's sort of how that, what they build the program around. And, and Florida doesn't have that right now. To me, I mean, uh, I was getting ready for senior day stuff and I'm going through, there's 22 seniors. Of course, not all of those are impact guys, but there's 10 starters. You know, uh, I counted Hammond and Swain as a starter. I mean, they're yeah. back and back and forth. 12, if you include the punter and the long snapper, which we do around here in these parts, <laughs> uh, talk to 247 about not including a punter in their rankings. Um, but when you look at all that Florida's losing, I think you need those guys in this class. You need the guys that are going to be able to come in and, and play from day one. You've got a bunch of freshmen right now that are getting experience, uh, especially in the defensive backfield. You're starting to get, you know, a redshirt freshman and Richard Garage and Ethan White are starting to get some some valuable playing time. Um, but you need to have those impact guys in this class because of all the productivity you're going to be losing. I mean, you're going to be losing most of your offense when you think about the receivers that are leaving and and Michael P. Ryan's leaving. Um, and, and then you're going to potentially lose Marco Wilson, C.J. Henderson. I know some people think they should come back, but those are two guys that you could lose on the back end. You're going to be losing David Reese, Sadden Schuler, Jonathan Grenard. There's there's a lot to replace uh, for Florida. So you, you, I think they need to get some of those impact guys. And, and I don't know that they have a ton right now or that they'd be able to, like Will's just said, you know, flip some guys. Well, of course, the uh, the big flip everybody wants, uh, running back to Marcus Bowman from Clemson, all right, you know, all right, still slim chance uh, for me uh, that, that that happens. But if we look at this running back position and who they you know could be looking at uh, right here, Jaquavius Marks, uh, Mississippi State commit, 152nd ranked player in the nation, 15th ranked running back, Jalen Knighton, who just decommitted from FSU, and Willie Taggart, what's going on there? He's the 101st uh, uh, player in the nation, 10th ranked running back. Um, and then EJ Smith, of course, 118th ranked player, the third all purpose back there. And f- plain and simple, Florida needs one of these guys uh, at running back, especially after missing out on the and Demarcus Bowman. I think the staff likes them all. I think Mark's more than others uh, there. So uh, the, 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 this has to play out where Florida has to get one of those guys. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it, you know, Demarcus Bowman is on another level. He's ranked where he's at uh, for, for a reason, but. And uh, it wouldn't uh, don't really want to label it this, but you know, just for lack of a better term here, you know, it wouldn't be a bad consolation prize to get somebody like Marks or Knighton uh, or EJ Smith to come in here and be that and be that running back. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think <laughs> a guy who's ranked a hundred is not bad. <laughs> you know, I think that's one of the sort of misconceptions about the people who really look at recruiting and 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 start really count and count count up the stars and say, does it matter? Does it not? As a guy who's ranked a hundred, can end up being an All American, can end up being a Heisman Trophy winner. The question is, what's the likelihood that he's going to do that? And the more of those guys who are ranked at a hundred that you can string together, the better. And I think that's one of the things when you look at this class. I mean, Dexter's rated 40, 46th, Wingo's rated eighty third, Jari Rogers one nineteen, Antoine Powell one twenty nine. Isaiah Walker, 132, Johnny Brown, 190. There's a lot more. The class is a lot more top heavy than it was last year. It was sort of a couple of guys in the top 100 and then a bunch of guys sort of in the 275 to 350 range in the class. There's a lot more guys sort of in the middle and you would expect them to deliver a little bit quicker. Um, And then obviously at running back, the position you're talking about specifically, those are usually guys who can come in and contribute right away. Though, you know, Florida's depth at running back is pretty good with with Pierce. Mm -hmm. And, and Naquan Wright and some of the guys that they've had come in the last couple of years. So um, 
running back isn't necessarily a huge place of need, but obviously they got to replace some of the playmakers who are going to be going away after this year, like Nick mentioned. And, uh, you know, guys in that hundred range are the kinds of guys that you really expect to be able to do that. And, and at least one or two of those guys step in and make a difference in year one. Well, I mean, we're talking running backs, but to me, um, it, you can't run behind you. We've seen it. You can't run behind a bad offensive line. And yep. that's really where I start looking. I mean, if you look at, you know, go to the two, four, seven rankings and just look at offensive linemen. Um, I was doing it the other day and I'm thinking why, I mean, Isaiah is a good player, good prospect. When you start looking at offensive line, you're looking at Florida's one in the top 50 is committed. And then the other one in Marcus Doomerville, it doesn't seem great, a uh, great shot that he's going to come to Florida. But why is Florida really only in on two of the top offensive linemen in the country when you can, when you need, when there's a clear, clear need for your team that you need to not only get more players, but get more talent on the line. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're looking at um, slip here to the other tab. Yeah. Richard Leonard. Yeah. You know, way down at you know, 755th ranked player and Gerald Mincy not ranked, uh, but you know, six, five, three twenty. Richard Leonard, six, two, three twenty. So they you know, got the size that you're looking for in offensive linemen, but yeah, those are not guys who are going to come. You don't think going to come in right away uh, and be instant impact players. And, um, yeah, Nick, you brought up, you know, instant impact players, uh, you know, for replacing what Florida is losing. Uh, you look at somebody like Gervin Dexter, Derek Wingo, you know, Isaiah Walker, because you know, Dexter, you know, I think even though, you know, TJ Slayton and, 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 you know, that position, that defensive tackle, I think Campbell's going to be gone. Now you're going to lose some talent there is Dexter. You know, it, it's hard to me for a true freshman to come in in the SEC and play that defensive tackle position. Yeah. Uh, uh, th- those guys are. The offensive linemen in the SEC do not look like the offensive linemen you've been playing for three years of varsity, uh, wherever you're from. Yeah, so, I mean, it, as good as he is, you know, it, it's going to be tough for somebody like that to, to come in and make an instant impact. Instant impact. Can be done, you know, but, but we'll have to see there. Derek Wingo, that's the guy I'm probably looking at coming come in and, and make an instant impact after what we saw, you know, because you can place this outside linebacker edge rush type guys into these friendly situations hey okay it's third and 13 you go out there and, and go make a play you can work him in that way uh and go out there and try to make a play but also isaiah walker the offensive tackle there you know we as you mentioned it you know the, the struggles that offensive line uh there and maybe you know him coming in and and it would be nice uh for the struggles that we've seen this year if a true freshman can come in you don't want to have to rely on it you don't want to have to you know you don't want to have to force a true freshman out there but if he's able to come in and push uh these guys that are returning or go out there and earn a starting spot then you know it it, it, uh it would speak very highly of him you'd like to be pleasantly surprised rather than saying hey buddy you're in i don't care if you're ready or not you're in well, he's going to be in there. The question is, ready to go. I mean, I, th- I think one of the guys that we do need to do need to keep in mind is Brenton Cox. Is going yep. to, and obviously the only five star on the roster has had to sit out this year. Uh, but he's ranked twenty third nationally when he came in. He's also at that outside linebacker spot. So I think I think Florida is probably pretty good there with Wingo and uh, and and Cox. And then also, you know, some of those guys have stepped up recently. I've been really impressed with what Zach Carter's done at defensive end and sort of allowing. Um, Grenard to roam free there at the at the buck, and so um, if Carter can step up and be be a solid contributor, then that sort of frees up some of these guys to maybe uh, freelance is the wrong word, but to be able to get 
pin their ears back and come after the quarterback. But I also think in some capacity, this is the way Mullen is going to have to build the program, right? I mean, you look at guys the first year from his 2018 class, really Trey Dean, Damian Pierce, and in some respects, Noah Banks were the three guys who kind of were on the field for a significant amount of time. And obviously it was a senior, you know, it was a experienced group, but at the same time, there wasn't a whole lot of 2018 impact from that 2018 class. I think you can sort of say the same thing this year. You look back at that one, Ethan White's played quite a bit. Jaden Hill, Chester Kimbrough, Diabate, Bogle, and Elam are sort of the guys you look at. I mean, there've been guys who've gotten out in the field, but how many guys would you say have contributed? And even, even this year, 2019, when you look at the 2018 class, Copeland, Garage, Emory Jones, Pitts, Bernie, Dean, Pierce, and then Blake, who's not even with the program anymore, are the guys that you would say from that 2018 class have made an impact. You know, the way Mullen has recruited thus far is going to sort of require a slow build, and uh, it, it, it's going to get accelerated a little bit next year because of all the guys who are leaving. But that's the reality when you, when you recruit top 10, top 15 rather than top five is that the build is a little bit slower. And that's just something that I think the expectations for fans are going to have to take into account. All right. Take a look at some tar- before we go here, some targets here. Uh, the Gators will, uh, will be going after maybe trying to flip, trying to sign uh, here. Vontae Williams, of course, uh, committed to Oregon recently come off a visit there. Um, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, but, uh, I, I still think Florida's in this one pretty good uh we'll you know i think the distance from home from florida uh from florida to oregon will play a huge factor um because he's been committed there for a while that commitment's probably uh held on longer than i thought there but friday night lights in july uh in gainesville there uh taking no visits since but uh saying the right things Nick, but uh that's just one i see from 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 florida all the way to oregon i just don't know ends up sticking around Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm not sure. I, to me, I I kind of go back, um, not to get too off topic, but I think that in, in the first couple classes that you have to recruit differently at Mississippi State. Um, I mean, I've had kids. I mean, Dan Mullen even said that there's kids that told Dan Mullen and his staff, "Hey, thanks for recruiting me. I'm not going to Starkville." Um, and then it's a completely different animal when you're at Florida. So I. I think the way that they've kind of built the team and, and you kind of have to do it, you know, in your first class and your transition class. Um, but once you start building these relationships, Florida's not a place where you need to go and get, you know, the 357th, not, I'm not trying to down anybody that they have um, any recruit, but you don't need to go and get the 357th ranked offensive lineman. Um, you can recruit nationally and you, and you should be. And I think the coaching staff has done a good job. I think McElwain's staff at times was afraid of being told no so mm-hmm. they wouldn't go out and they wouldn't ask, you know, the big five star unless he was in California. Then they spent a bunch of time there. Um, but <laughs> wouldn't go out and wouldn't ask players. It wouldn't, you know, try to recruit guys because they thought, oh, well, they're going to go to Bama or they're going to go to Georgia or Clemson and we don't have a chance. So let's not waste time. You're at the University of Florida. You know, shoot your shot. <laughs> and especially when you're putting back to back 10 win seasons together, um, there's not a player that I think that this coaching staff is afraid to go get, but I do think that they get lazy at times and just thinking, Hey, we're good coaches. And it doesn't matter if he's rated, you know, the 4,000th best offensive tackle in the country, John Hevesy will coach him up. But I just don't think that at the university of Florida, you're going to need some players to fill classes and you'll have to do that. I just don't think at the university of Florida and, and they'll get better at it. You don't need to sell for those kids. So to me, 
if you think you have a chance at someone, even if they're committed somewhere else, go for it. You're, you're, you're stacking up wins on the football field. That helps. Um, you're you're going to be putting players in the NFL. That helps. It, it certainly helped Clemson and Alabama. So even if the chance isn't good, you, you've got a solid class right now. Go out and, like we said earlier, find those playmakers. Those those guys can be instant impact guys. Yeah, I mean, and some of the targets there before we go, you know, defensive tackle Timothy Smith committed to Alabama right now. Uh, visited Gainesville, a you know, uh, visited Gainesville a ton. You know, a lot of people say follow the visits there. Uh, visited Gainesville a lot this fall, so we one to look out for there. See if Florida can fit, flip him. But couldn't imagine a defensive line with Timothy Smith and Gervin Dexter. That would be a heck of a haul uh, for the Gators. You get those two guys there. Uh, edge rusher Morvin Joseph is former Gator commit, former Florida State commit. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Todd Grantham really likes him uh, there. I don't know if. The room is there in the end uh, for him, but I know Todd Grantham likes him a lot. Uh, Nick brought him up earlier. Marcus Doomerville, offensive uh, tackle there from South Florida. LSU looks to be the lean there. Uh, Malik Heath, Ju- Juco wide receiver. Um, another wide receiver, Xavier Henderson, Christopher Henderson's little brother. I've been around the program a lot uh, this fall. We're going to be Alabama, Georgia, uh, Clemson, Florida battle uh, there in the end. Uh, kind of nobody really knows where he's leaning right now. Avante Williams just brought him up to another one to walk out, watch out for tight end Demarcus Beckwith there. Uh, kind of impressed with the way Kyle Pitts is being used in this offense uh, as well. And Nick, you may have to help me with this. I don't know if you've been around this guy, the, the guy down there, Kentron Potier, Potier uh, from Miami Palmetto. Uh, I'm not sure. That sounds like it could be Haitian, which might be a little French. And uh, yeah. I don't speak. I don't speak <laughs> French, so your your pronunciation is probably as good as mine. All right, I'm going to say that was right there. So go uh, STA when it comes to Marcus Dumerville. Do what? Go STA. Oh go yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but well, yeah, I mean, as I see, you know, Timothy Smith. If you man, if you could pair him up with Gervin Jackster, I mean, that's a that's a heck of a defensive line haul there. Yeah, well, I think that's where you really have to start looking here is where is Florida going to recruit based on their need? Um, obviously, I think at corner, if they've got Wilson and Henderson leaving, they're going to need to replace some guys there. You want a quarterback with every class. They've got that guy signed in Anthony Richardson. They've got some pretty you know, pretty high-level wide receivers and and Jacoivian Frazier's and Leonard Manuel. Um, and then, obviously, Dexter at defensive tackle, but then filling in that depth, they've got Lamar Goods as well. Um, and if you can bring in somebody else, you know, three, four-star defensive tackles to, to add the rotation, I think makes a big difference. And we saw that this year with Jabari Zuniga going down and Jonathan Grenard going down and sort of some of those guys having to slide inside. And in those games where those guys were missing, all of a sudden, Florida's getting gassed in the running game. And, and having a push up front is obviously going to be very important for any defense. But in particular, Grantham's 3-4 defense, guys like, guys like Wingo and, and, uh, and Amari Bernie can't go sideline to sideline if they're getting mauled by offensive linemen. So defensive tackles become very, very important. And and again, I, I think um, I, I think you really start looking at need when you're looking at those guys in the 200 to 400 range, because those are guys you're going to have to develop over time for the most part. Um, and then you just sort of look for overall skill when you're looking at guys in that top 100, because those are the guys who are going to deliver pretty quick. Nick, any certain player you think Florida has to get that's out there? Um, there's you, You've got a solid base. You know, you're yeah. hitting on, on positions that you need. You've got your quarterback. I think you need a quarterback in every class. Um, so once you set that solid foundation, kind of like what I just said, go out and, and try to, you know, flip that guy you can. Don't stop calling Marcus Doomerville until he's signed and sent in his, you know, his letter of intent. I don't think DeMarcus Bowman's coming, 
but yeah. go ahead and, and and have Greg Knox call him and text him every night. Have better yet, have uh, Christian Robinson call him and text him. Every night. <laughs> um, but you know, those are guys that you're in a position now where you're kind of set. Your class is okay. Go out and get those guys that will, you know, kind of like what Will was trying to, you know, figure the numbers out. How you get into the top five? You've got a solid class. You're gonna you're gonna add some more players. There's guys that you can add, even though you're not, you know, you turn the heat up on them late. Go out and try to get somebody that that will take you from, uh, you know, top fifteen to top ten, getting near top five. So, so Nick, you mentioned Christian Robinson calling people. How how active is Mullen when it comes to reeling in these guys like Bowman or or Doomerville? Like, is he? I mean, and maybe you don't have line of sight to it, but I'm just curious as to what his role is when it comes to this. Is he more of a CEO or does he get actively involved? No, gets- I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I've all you know. Of course, uh, you know the, the assistant coaches who recruit certain positions get hammered because of uh, when a certain recruit or a certain you know, uh, that doesn't come along and you know, it's the position coach that always gets hammered. But sometimes, you know, it's filtered by location and sometimes in a way it ultimately falls on Mullen, uh, you know, to, to get these guys in. Yeah, the, the big thing is, and Will Muschamp didn't have it and it was kind of like a Florida thing, not necessarily Will Muschamp thing. They didn't have a huge support staff. And I think yeah. Alabama was one of the first ones where, you know, the support staff had a support staff and they just had an entire building full of people that were, calling and texting and, and listen that uh i can't remember who told me about it but he, he told a recruit one time he says hey when a coach texts you in july ask him to facetime you because that's probably not the coach that's when they're on vacation so you've got a bunch of different people that have access to the coaches um twitter accounts or facebook or instagram and that's a way that they can dm and get messages out but dan mullen's hands-on i remember uh, they were doing walkthrough at the chick-fil-a bowl and Mullen was FaceTiming, and I kind of like looked around. Oh, yeah. and Lee Bagley told me, she's like, oh, he's talking to Gervin Dexter, and I tweet that out. And then another crew was like, no, he's texting me, or he was FaceTiming me. And I'm like, oh, he's FaceTiming multiple recruits during walkthrough of the Chick-fil-A Bowl to kind of just show him, like, hey, this is where we are. We're, who's the other school that was talking to you? Where are they right now? Oh, he FaceTimed me from his house? That's weird. Um, I, I'm here in, in Mercedes-Benz in the Mercedes-Benz Dome uh, in Atlanta, getting ready to play in the New Year's Six Bowl. So he gets hands-on, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's like you said too, Dave, I, I, I put out, um, when Kyle Trask, you know, took over, I put out, I said, hey, you guys hated Doug Nussmeyer, but he's the one that found um, Kyle Trask. And Kyle Trask's dad told me, he goes, Randy Shannon found him, because that was Randy's area. I'm like, oh, even better. <laughs> <laughs> Fans are going to love that. Um, but, yeah, it, a lot of it is um, area. And and you can probably tell who the good recruiters and the strong recruiters are versus the guys that aren't as strong in recruiting based on the areas that they're in. Uh, you know, you put a guy, you know, I think who was – who's the offensive line coach I'm blanking on right now? They did the worm. Uh, Nord. Nord, Nord, Nord recruited, like, Gainesville and, like, up to Jacksonville, but not into Jacksonville. And they had somebody else in Jacksonville. And then they gave Nord, like, some of the panhandle, too. And you're like, all right, well, that makes sense. You're, <laughs> you're not, not going to be pulling a ton of guys from that area. Put him there. So you can kind of see where those guys are. I think at the end of the day, it means more to have the head coach talk to you than it does, you know, even maybe your position coach. But the position coach is the person that you're going to be with most of the time. Um, so that's the one where you need to build the strongest relationship with him because sure, Dan Mullen's the head coach, but if I'm a running back, I'm going to spend more time with Greg Knox than I am with Dan Mullen. Yeah. 
All right. Interesting uh, the way to play out over, over the next month. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? The only thing I'd say about recruiting is that it felt like last year there was a lot more noise around guys like Steele and Elam and and Bogle and Zipper. So I'm hoping that noise will pick up pretty soon because it's one of those things where um, I haven't necessarily heard a whole lot. Now, obviously, I'm not real close to the program, but um, you know, I haven't heard a whole lot of noise like I did last year. And maybe it's because Florida's winning so much <laughs> that it's uh, you know that that it that it hasn't really percolated up. But you know, December the December signing day is coming pretty quick. And, and uh, certainly I think everybody pretty much had their recruiting classes set. I know Florida pulled in a couple of guys post signing day, but um, you know, you pretty much know where everybody's going to fall in December these days. So that's probably the critical one. So hopefully we'll hear some, hear some stuff over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think, I think Florida needs to close strong for all the reasons we've already talked about. And uh, it's on the coaching staff to do that. You know, you're going to have a big bowl game to get ready for. And, uh, you know, some other coaching staffs uh, that don't even have coaching staffs right now will have more time to do recruiting because they won't have a bowl game or they'll have an early bowl game. But you got to figure out a way to do that and then also turn that bowl game into a recruiting tool. So no excuses in recruiting. You either get them <laughs> or you don't. That's right. That's right. Uh, plug time. Uh, will, what you got coming up at Reading Reaction this week? So I got something pretty special for both Florida and FSU fans. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blow the cover, but I think everybody will enjoy it. So um, obviously, with the coaching search they got going on there, there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a uh, <laughs> little bit of a hard time we can give those folks. So I'm gonna try to do that a little bit. <laughs> I know what you got uh, got going on at Gator Country with the uh, the site, the podcast. I know what we don't have going on. We're not tracking tail numbers on private jets. That's what we're not doing. I am done with that mess. Oh man, I do not envy any of the writers at Florida State because that that was it. Coaching searches are crazy. So best of luck to all of them over there. And uh, let me know when Bob Stoops is named the coach. I feel here we're still waiting on that. Yeah, no, uh, that, that plane was in Texas last week, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I should be out tomorrow if I don't, you know kill myself trying to do it. I'm running through bowl scenarios and kind of likelihoods of where Florida will go. And right, let me guess, let me guess where you want them to go. New Orleans, orange bowl. I want to go home for Christmas, be there oh, okay. and be, be at home. And, um, but it's crazy because the ACC is contracted to go to the orange bowl. There's one ACC team ranked. There are 14 teams in the conference and only Clemson is ranked, but the orange bowl has to take one. So can, they, goes, can they take Notre Dame? They they have to take an ACC team, and then they can take the then they take the next highest ranked team from the SEC, the Big Twelve, or Notre Dame. Uh, so, but they have to take so. If so it couldn't be Florida Notre Dame because I've seen that somewhere. No, they hundred um, percent. Okay. There is a see. This is where I'm getting a headache. There is a stipulation where the ACC had to take an SEC team three times. I think they've only taken one, and the contract only runs through next year. So I think they might have to. But they contractually have to take an ACC team every single year. If there's no next highest ranked team after Clemson, who will be in the playoff, assuming you know chalk holds, they just get to pick one. They get to pick any bowl eligible team. So that's where you're getting all the hype um, from people writing about Miami, saying Miami can go to the Orange Bowl because they can, because the Orange Bowl committee could just pick Miami. They could pick Louisville. They could pick any ACC team because it's such a bad football conference that they have one of 14 teams ranked in the top 25. So you're looking at Florida versus Miami, Virginia, Virginia tech. Something like that. Yeah. If it's that's, Florida, if it's Florida, Virginia tech, I think I have to go. 
or or Florida in the Cotton Bowl, which would be back in Jerry's world, which I, I mean, that'd be like my third time there covering a Florida game. And that would be the Cotton Bowl is an access bowl. So the Cotton Bowl would be the group yeah. of five, highest ranked group of five team. Um, so I think right now that's Memphis. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just, there's a million different scenarios. So this story is, is been kicking my butt all day. All right. Will, I'm, I'm really hoping for your Florida-Virginia Tech matchup. Oh, I will be there, and I will be buying both of you gentlemen a beverage if it happens. <laughs> we'll have to ask Torian Gray who, uh, who he thinks is going to win that game. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's Nick Delatore. You can find him at Gator Country and on Twitter at Nick Delatore GC. Uh, also, Will Miles, you can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.